The real state of emergency is not the border crisis. That's just a diversion. The Monica Perez Show starts now. This is Monica Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB Saturday afternoons. Today from 3 to 5.30. We have a ton of stuff to cover, though, because uh, just a lot of things happen this week, big and small. And I want to get to them, uh, as many of them as possible. So I might try to do uh, kind of rapid fire as far as I can get it. Uh, But I want to start with this story of the week, I would say, where uh, President Trump declared a national emergency. So I'm spending all my time yesterday trying to figure out what the implications of that are. We, we, I think we're in a state of emergency like 30 times over already. People say that, uh, although I couldn't even really get to the bottom of that. I think they have to keep re-signing, which they do, uh, especially the one after 9-11 and all that. Uh, but as I dug in and dug in, and and for all the articles and all the coverage, there really wasn't a great explanation of what this really meant. But what from what I could tell, it is actually rather specific. They have to say what they're after. And so I finally did get the text of the uh, national emergency order, uh, which I will read to you. But but one thing that I thought was kind of crazy is this National Emergencies Act from the 1970s allows the president to declare a national emergency which gives him extraordinary powers. And that just seems silly on its face. It can be overridden by a veto-proof act of the joint session of Congress or if the president himself signs a normal act of the joint session of Congress, which presumably he would not do if he's the one who declared this. I think that should be repealed, the act, and Congress should declare an emergency just like Congress is supposed to declare war. In the Constitution, it says Congress declares war and then calls the president in to actual service as commander-in-chief. They always refer to him as commander-in-chief, but unless they're actually calling him into actual service, he's not commander-in-chief. Similarly, they should declare the state of emergency and call him in as uh, the administrator of that, the executive under the national emergency. They don't do it. So that's what I came up with. And I will read you uh, the national, the, what he wrote. So, uh, so from what I could tell, he's not just like Caesar uh, writes himself up as dictator and who knows if it'll ever end. It's, it's actually pretty specific. So what he directed in, in this, uh, in what his declaration of emergency is, that uh, there's just two short paragraphs section that are relevant. Section one, the Secretary of Defense or the Secretary of each relevant military department as appropriate and consistent with applicable law shall order as many units or members of the uh, capital R ready reserve to active duty as the secretary concerned in the secretary's discretion determines to be appropriate to assist and support the activities of the secretary of Homeland security at the Southern border. And then the second section is the secretary of defense, the secretary of the interior, the secretary of Homeland security 
And subject to the discretion of the Secretary of Defense, the secretaries of the military departments shall take all appropriate actions consistent with applicable law to use or support the use of the authorities herein invoked, including, if necessary, the transfer and acceptance of jurisdiction over borderlands. I would really like to know a little bit more about that. I think my favorite congressman, Justin Amash, uh, alluded to that about the real underlying problem of using eminent domain without just compensation or good cause. So I think there's probably stuff in there that matters. The devil's in the details. But I felt like a fool by the end of my pursuit of what the true meaning of the national emergency was when I realized that the bigger news was getting basically no coverage whatsoever. If you could find the real underlying story, it was always just a subsection of an article on the national emergency. The real story is that he signed a $1.3 trillion spending bill. $1.3 trillion spending bill in the exact same way that he signed it last year. From what I can tell, I mean, there are differences. This was, I think some of it was already signed. Uh, But last year, and like the article I was reading, I thought I read this article already. It was almost identical to what I was reading last year, which is March 2018, an article in The Guardian. Donald Trump announced on Friday that he had reluctantly signed Congress's $1.3 trillion spending bill despite a threat he made hours earlier to veto the budget and shut down the federal government. The 2,232-page bill uh, was released to lawmakers hours before it passed the House and Senate on Thursday, a day before the shutdown deadline. He vowed, Trump vowed, I say to Congress, I'm never going to sign a bill like this again. Nobody read it. It's hours old. March 2018. Now, I just read from February 2019, this week, in Heritage.org, Congress is back at it with a last-minute massive spending bill that no one will have time to read. Late Wednesday night, House and Senate negotiators released text of a nearly 1,200-page omnibus spending bill, so it was not every single appropriations. That's why it was shorter. But it's still ridiculously long. You cannot get through it. Does nothing to reduce wasteful spending and is a letdown for America's taxpayers. Lawmakers are expected to vote on the bill Thursday evening, less than 24 hours after its release, leaving no time for thorough debate and amendment process. And they did sign it, and then Trump signed it. So we're looking at this insane buildup of national debt, of just ever-rising deficits. The debt, the Congressional Budget Office anticipates that in 10 years, our interest on the debt will be a trillion dollars. So the entirety of the deficit will will be, uh, if we can at least keep it together that much, will be interest on the debt. The debt will be $34 trillion. And I, I just, it doesn't make any sense because it appears that we are the richest society that ever existed. I mean, that's why people are banging down our doors to get in. So if we cannot limit our consumption to what we produce, whoever could, and and what society is paying for that? It's our children who are taxed without representation because we are giving them this tremendous tax burden. So I personally think the number one priority of any president, of any voter, if you're going to be a single issue voter, should be a balanced budget amendment. And actually beyond that, get that deficit, get the debt down, not just the deficit. The balanced budget would get rid of a deficit. It would mean that every year you only consume what you produce or 
or earn in taxes. And if you did that, spending and taxes would go down because right now we allow deficit spending to reduce our taxes. But we would have more discipline if you immediately felt the impact of that. And then I would say not only do you have to get the budget, the debt down, and I would not write any exception into the balanced budget, even for war, for this reason. Build up a war chest. Build up your coffers to protect yourself. That that would be part of a prudent defense mechanism because if you allow for debt in times of war, all bankers do is foment war. There's a there's a um, famous documentary or even just a saying, all wars are bankers' wars. Bankers lend to both sides. There, There's tons of like deep history that demonstrates that bankers conspire to get war started solely to lend the money to the sides, whichever side or both sides, because then they suck up all the wealth of the world. I was reading, I was listening to James Corbett. He did a um, three-part series on the origins of World War One. I'm, I'm only through one part. But this is, uh, I'm sure he, he gets into it in depth. And uh, another, uh, I just, there's a lot, a lot, a lot to read about this stuff. But the fact is, there is no reason, the bankers will, or people who benefit from high debt, actually go out of their way to promote programs that are wasteful. When you think about what our, uh, how much taxes we pay, you could write checks to every person below average. So the lower 50% of the people in this country could literally get checks of twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 after taxes with the amount of money that we put into wealth redistribution. I can talk to you about how I figured that out, but the bottom line is the the purpose of big government seems to me is to generate debt and interest payments that we need a, an awakening here. So if you think there's anybody at the top who's got their eyes open to this, who's on your side and they're not talking about the tragedy of the national debt, then they are not being, they are not truly on your side. So Binkley, my producer and sidekick here, uh, I, don't always love to go down the economic or debt rabbit hole or open that can of worms. A lot of people are into it, but some people just zone out when they hear the number stuff. But do you let's bring it to pop culture. Did you ever see The Simpsons from the year 2000 where Trump was president? I did. It's called Bart to the Future, I think. <laughs> do you do you remember what Donald Trump's signature accomplishment was? I do not. So Lisa, I believe, became president after Trump. And she had to deal with his final act in office or whatever it was. He declared bankruptcy. Oh, really? Yes. That was the, so I saw articles saying, oh, Trump had vowed on his campaign trail to wipe out the national debt by the end of eight years, which isn't exactly what he said anyway. But it made me think there is more than one way to get rid of debt. You can pay it back. Or you can walk away. Yeah. So I actually don't even think that's such a bad idea because I'm not sure lending money to the federal government is uh, is strictly moral. Right. I actually turned down a job or 
blew myself up in a job interview and they said, well, you think banking is moral? I said, oh, yeah, banking is super moral, except <laughs> if you're selling treasuries. And that is what they were doing. Um, but Russia, people don't realize this because it's a real possibility. Russia declared bankruptcy, I believe, in the 90s. And when you blow up your credit, you really can't borrow that much. So they have incredibly low. I think they have like 13 percent debt to GDP ratio. Ours is like 100 uh, percent. And that's the, the true threat from Russia is that they will remain on their feet while we are slaves to debt. Uh, there's so much more to say on that subject, but we're going to move on to other subjects right after this. 404-872-0750. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. Maybe it's something really cool that I don't even know about, you know. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. As you know, we've inherited quite a budget crunch from President Trump. How bad is it, Secretary Van Houten? We're broke. Yep, that was uh, a hard-to-find episode, actually, of The Simpsons. I hope uh, predictive programming is not a real thing, because we will be in trouble. Uh, anyway, or, or maybe not. It's works for Russia. Bankruptcy works for Russia. So... Oh, yeah, let me just take a call real quick. Um, I want to talk to Michael in Lawrenceville. Uh, Michael, you're on with Monica. Can you hear me? Hi, Monica. Good afternoon. Hey, what you got? Well, I was uh, just going to tell you, I, I completely agree with your assessment. We had the same bill situation and one point something trillion spending bill last year. And, and here we go again. Uh, I voted for Trump because I was scared to death of Hillary, but I just... I'm, I'm starting to get deeply concerned about the amount of debt, but I'm also concerned about how the same government officials, whether Republican or, or Democrat, continue to enrich themselves uh, basically through these spending bills. I'm sure that the contractors for the wall are already lined up, ready to get their payments, uh, just like through the Bush and Clinton administrations. And uh, it, it's just frustrating that it continues and the spending is it's just out of control at this point. Yeah, you bring I, it back. Yeah. I, I agree with you. And I, I, I also wonder about like how the trade renegotiations are potentially cronyistic. And one thing I know you had told the screener was about the wealth gap that uh, people at the bottom um, can't get ahead of this. And I actually wanted to make the point that inflation, when they print money or when they like printed money to bail out the banks, not the mortgage holders, not the people, not the taxpayers, but the banks keeping those same people on top. Like, so there was no what they call creative destruction. But uh, when they create money like that, it actually benefits holders of assets, people who have wealth rather than wage owner, earners. And a very simple way to think of it is the gas station. Uh, if they print a bunch of money and the price of gas doubles, which has happened, do you think that the the wage of the guy working behind the counter at the gas station has doubled over that time? I've observed it myself, and it definitely hasn't. And that, I believe, is the biggest contributor to the wealth gap. So I want to move on to, I, I edit, keep calling on that topic if you like, but I'm going to move on a little bit to some interesting stuff about uh, Alexandria Ocasio and Chuck Schumer versus Mitch McConnell. I'll give you the real story. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. This will not stand, you know? This aggression will not stand, man. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. I am your libertarian voice on WSB Saturday afternoons, usually 3 to 6, until 5.30 today. And we were just talking about uh, the big news. I think it was a total diversion, but 
not in a general sense, but this week anyway, that Trump declared a national emergency of extremely limited scope, although uh, just because it's narrow doesn't mean it's not deep. And I do want to see how that shakes out. I suspect that some other purpose is being served that nobody's talking about. But I believe that that made all the big news and uh, it drowned out completely. Not that there was any attempt to talk about it, but this one point three trillion dollar spending bill that got passed and signed within 24 hours and uh, and the tremendous deficit debt interest burden, all of this that is just within 10 years, the interest alone is projected to be a trillion dollars a year. So the entire greater than our deficit or what our deficit is is, is also projected to be around a trillion dollars a year coming up now. Uh, so this is a very serious. This is truly a national emergency. And um, but Binkley, I was pointing out and you you had a comment on this that last year Trump said, I'm never signing anything like this again. It was passed in the dead of night. Nobody had any time to read it. I'm going to sign it this time. And I remember saying at the time. Anybody who has kids knows you can't say, well, I'll let you get away with it this time. But next time, all that means is there's definitely going to be a next time. And you've just kicked the can of being the disciplinarian down the road and weakened your position. This time he didn't even try to do that. Uh, he just signed it. And um, but he said this, but the, it was the same thing, which he didn't mention it this time, but it was over a thousand pages. It was <laughs> not around for 24 hours. I mean, it's absurd that this is standard practice. This is how bills get signed is we give you 5,000 pages two hours before it's got to be the deadline and that we just pass laws this way. I mean, this is a subversion of the democratic process. People should be more upset about this standard practice in Washington than they really are. Yeah, people will say it's not a democracy. It's a representative republic. But I'll say it's not really representing me. I have no way to guide my representatives. It's certainly not representing the children who we are indebting. They're they're not voting right now, yet they're going to inherit a 30 in 10 years. It's going to be a 35 or 34 trillion dollar debt. Yeah. And we have no idea what is in these bills because nobody's read them. It's just like signing uh when you sign up for a new app or a phone and you agree to the terms of service but you don't read any of it and you've sacrificed your life to the devil because you just wanted to get the new app downloaded for sure and i believe if memory serves thomas jefferson had proposed that all bills sit for one year untouched before a vote for mm. the reason first of all it would do what you're doing but i imagine when you were writing stuff out longhand there was no way there was going to be a 2000 page bill his point was laws at the congressional level should be timeless and you should not be passing things maybe the next congress will vote on it if it has to sit for a year half the time it's going to be a totally different group of people yeah that's funny that think tanks that want to implement 5G around the world specifically talk about how they cannot wait for the tedious and long legislation policy, a progress to create policy around it. They just need to get it in. Oh, so they're just bypassing that. Yeah, altogether. they're like the that opposite happens. of what he Nobody wanted. talks about that. Yeah. So uh, I do want to get to a few more calls on this before we move on. Uh, 800 WSB talk 404 I'm going to David. David. David on line one. Yes, David, you are on with Monica. Hello, Miss Monica. And Hi. I love your show. Try to catch it every Saturday that I can. Awesome. What but my, my concern is, and, and maybe I'm just 
a dumb. Maybe I'm that's bottom line. I'm dumb. But if you are the only person on the planet that can print a one dollar bill, how do you go in debt when everything in the world is traded in your made up out of thin air one dollar bill? And and to me, my way of thinking, that is the scary thing. Because if China or Saudi Arabia or whoever comes up and says, we're going to switch from the dollar to the whatever, we're screwed. It, it's not about our debt. It's about our influence, our global influence, and how we can maintain that the dollar is the tradable uh, monetary measure. Yeah, you've you've got a lot there. Let me just say this on that. I believe that the way it worked was Kissinger devised the petrodollar to replace the gold standard. And that what he did was uh, he got Saudi Arabia, for example, to uh, guarantee that all of their purchases, all of their sales of oil would be denominated in dollars. And then they would take those dollars and buy our debt to keep our interest rates low. So this created a demand for all these dollars in the world that are not really just used within our borders. And the way I understand it, the big risk would be if we are no longer the reserve currency of the world and all that uh, all that money all those dollars say they stop using dollars to denominate oil sales which some places are doing uh, all those actual dollars come flooding back into the country so all of a sudden there's like eight times as many dollars chasing the same amount of goods then that is very harmful to the standard of living of the people and it completely eliminates the possibility of being able to buy imported object items so you have to be a self-sustaining economy till you get back on your feet if i understand it correctly and that is something to worry about and why would it happen well if you're like me and you think there is kind of a power behind the scenes on a global level which i would say are they are the bankers or related to the bankers whatever uh say it's what rockefeller said rockefeller had said uh that he wanted I believe it was David Rockefeller said that that the plan was to bring the world under kind of domination of the centralized power. And in order to do that, it's like a transmission and engine wheels. You can't put together the super, super highly productive American economy uh, and the slow third world stuff from the rest of the world. So the hundred year plan had been to slow down the East to speed up the East and slow down the West until they could come together. So if you really wanted to slow, put the brakes on the West uh, for that final merger, maybe that's just what you would do would be to uh, stop the benefit of the reserve currency. But that is about, I, I understand it in the broad brush strokes, or I think I do. But I believe it gets uh, much more complicated and hard to predict. But I am primarily worried, no matter what the outcome is of this national debt problem, it is a crisis that cannot have a favorable resolution. I think the only favorable resolution would be a bankruptcy, but that in itself would cause such displacement. I do not think that we would us citizens would land on our feet. So I am worried about it, and I don't understand why nobody ever talks about it 
in a you know, the, at the top anymore. They used to. I'm going to JJ in Fayetteville. Hi, JJ. You're on with Monica. Hello, Monica. How you doing? I just want to. I just want to say you're on track. It's the globalist. The globalist working in banking. They're working in economies, manipulating everything to a one world currency and Revelation chapter 13. I know you're a Christian, and I'm sure you've looked at Revelations chapter 13. They do not want any borders. They don't want any secured countries. Uh, a wall on the southern border is uh, an obstacle to their plan. And, well, and they're I, in, they, they want a one-world system where all countries are united under one banner of their control, and they don't want any border countries with borders because that would mean sovereignty and people having control of their own lives. I would say that... The wall doesn't matter because they can just open the gate. It does not matter. I mean, I'm not saying it's not reasonable to have a fence or border around your own property. And because we do not actually have absolute property rights anymore, that gives people justification for needing to control the borders that they can control because they're worried. They, you know, you, you have absolute private property rights. You should. And you can do whatever you want with them. If you're paranoid or judgmental or any of that, doesn't matter. Just put your fence up and defend your, your own property however you want. Uh, but building the wall, if, say, say Donald Trump is completely sincere in his motives building the wall, but somebody else is going to sit in his chair and if you look at the document written by William Weld, who just declared as a primary challenger to Trump and was the disastrous VP candidate at the Libertarian Party, uh, and Heidi Cruz was on the committee that wrote this also, they wanted to create a North American union, which allowed for the free trade of labor and services and goods and all that, which I'm basically, as a libertarian, in a free society, that would be an element of it. But what they are saying is that what they would do is create a, a uh, an organization like the Bilderberg Group to help legislators understand how to make the legislation of each of the countries in the North American Union the most restrictive. So if Canada has fierce labor laws and high minimum wage, Mexico and the United States would have to adopt that same standard. Uh, environmental stuff, all of it. That's what the North American Union, William Weld, Heidi Cruz, and a host of others are talking about. And all that means is you can have your wall, but the door is going to be open. So you have to think about the policy that's behind it. I mean, when you look at the other countries, Sweden and all that, those countries who complain, a wall is not going to solve their problem. It's a policy issue. It's... Uh, and, and frankly, the policies lead to the immigration. The policies lead to the fact that immigration is disruptive instead of organic and positive. So this is why I'm a libertarian. You can't, I, you can't, there is no just society without uh, liberty, true liberty. I'm going to go to Maurice. Maurice, you're on with Monica. Hey, um, you know, uh, kind of back out of this and, and realize that the good guys and the bad guys realize that we have a financial system, uh, you know, that's will that needs to be reset. Uh, and so I, I believe most of, of what Trump's doing 
um, is essentially setting the stage to remove uh, the Federal Reserve and other globalist central, all the central banks, basically, uh, because they, both of them know that they can't pay back the debt, you know, whether it's the, you know, hidden debt that uh, Catherine Austin Fitz talks about or the obvious, easily trackable debt. Um, but the point is, is they know it's coming down and they're setting the stage. And I believe that Trump is talking with Putin and China about these very concerns because they know too. So it's not, and the, the idea, it's about globalism and nationalism. And it looks like nationalism uh, is designed at least to help the people. Because, uh, you know, central banks have a, you know, you have to pay interest on any money um, issued. So, um, and the things I'm hearing is that you know, Trump totally controls the economy. He's got uh, the Federal Reserve guy under his control, and he's doing that for our benefit. All right, I gotta, I gotta take a break, Maurice. I mm-hmm. like that you have faith that Trump is Batman, uh, and yeah. maybe there is stuff going on beside behind the scenes. But then right. the entire media governmental continuum is a total fraud and sham because. We have no control. We have no idea. They're just keeping us busy while they uh, do their machinations in a, in, the, in a technocracy is what it sounds like. So let's finish up after the break. I'll get to Gene. 800 WSB Talk. This is Monica Perez. Monica Perez. You maniac! You blow it up! On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We're back. It always gets people's attention when we talk about the debt. And I don't understand why when Donald Trump accepted uh, his victory on election night, the only policy issue he identified by name was his big plans for infrastructure. That's the opposite of controlling the debt. It's the opposite of what the people who voted for him wanted. But I knew it was a sign. Anyway, let's wrap up this conversation. But I do want to get to Gene in Kennesaw. Hi, Gene. You're on with Monica. Gene, that could be my problem. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought you were uh, Gene, go. still on the Sorry, I thought you're you were on the on air. The, okay, yes. I thought you were still on the wall. And, uh, I no, just, go ahead. Go. I, say what you want. I've been badgering my senator to death for about a month, Johnny Isaacson, out of uh, Kennesaw. I mean, I, you know, covers my Kennesaw area in Georgia. And uh, they've been listening to me and seem to placate me and listen to me and try to hear me out and whatever. And finally, yesterday, I said, okay, let's talk about what you just passed. Let's talk about this bill. And I went into the deep about the new judges and all the new detention centers, and they can only hold so many people and whatever. And they kind of, you know, finally opened up and admitted they really didn't know what they signed. They finally admitted they didn't know. They just signed it because they said they went along with bipartisan commitment. So they admitted they didn't know what they were doing. Yeah, and that is actually a big problem. And that's why I don't like what is smacking of a cult of personality or extreme partisanship where it doesn't matter what they actually do. We don't look at the policy so that I had a very wise caller a long time ago tell me a Democrat could never get gun control passed, but a Republican could. Because the Republicans silence the right the way the Democrats silence 
the anti-war left, the Republican signs, the fiscal conservative right. I mean, it's really, uh, it's it's alarming. So always look at the policies. Never give up your rights. Don't fall for partisanship or personality. Uh, but speaking of personalities, I did tease too talking about Ocasio and uh, and the Schumer McConnell battle. So I will get to that right after the break. This is Monica Perez. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.